You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Everybody and welcome to the 2020 version of the Florida Gator panel. It's our pleasure to bring this to you again. Uh, in our, I believe it's our third year in a row, right, Dave? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, third, yeah, third year. Uh, yeah, we started with uh, Mullen's first year, I believe, when we all when we all got together for the first time. I love it. This has been a a staple that has been often. Uh, Try to uh, to be replicated, but uh, never quite duplicated. Uh, but this Gator panel is sponsored by our friend Alan Horn, former Gator baseball player. Uh, Alan owns a um, a State Farm uh, home insurance agency there in Jasper, Georgia, just north of Atlanta, uh, and wanted to uh, to reach out to you if you are looking for premium service and premium products uh, in auto, home, life, business insurance, retirement, uh, over there and up there in Georgia. Reach out to our friend Alan. He's a proud Gator graduate, big fan of all of our outlets that, that we have featured on today's Gator panel. So reach out to him. Uh, rates are historically low, dipping as low as 1.75% there in Georgia. So give Alan Horn uh, a reach out if uh, if you are in the uh, Georgia area. You reach him at Horn H-O-R-N-E, insurance.com, or give him a call at 706-692-2888. So thanks so much, Alan, for sponsoring this year's Gator panel. I'm Dan Thompson, represented by Stadium and Gator. Gail, Dave, over to you. Yeah, David Waters from Gators Breakdown Podcast. And uh, Dan, man, it, it started with the big three roll-up and then, of course, morphed into Stadium and Gale, of course, with the Gator side of it. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for, uh, you know, getting this together. And uh, we'll, we'll do it We'll do it again and have some fun with it. As the, everybody's excited for Dan Mullen's third season in, uh, in the Gators in kind of a college football playoff discussion. Exactly, exactly for you. Yeah, Zach Albaverde from Gators Territory on the Rivals Network. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm just glad that we actually get to do this and we're talking about a football season and there's some something to look forward to. And I guess the Big Ten joined the party today, right, boys? I guess so. All the, we're, all ce- the high- we're celebrating that, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> all of the high horsing in the offseason lasted, what, about three weeks? Yeah, well, and, and now they, and now they can't put the asterisk there for whoever wins because if the Pac-12 doesn't play, no one – they know no one was going to win it from that conference. <laughs> and then finally, you don't care about who's late to the party. I, I, you know, you don't chase her whatsoever in my mind. So I'm not celebrating their late arrival to the party. Although, you know, I got to say, Graham Hall here, the Gainesville Sun, I am glad to be talking college football. You guys said three years ago, man. This year has seemed like three years. I'm just glad that we have some type of college football to talk about. And I I think that we're all pretty excited about what's in store. Um, Although there has been a little bit of some tenuous news with testing recently that uh, definitely is a little bit of area of concern, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's dive into kind of overall prospects. We'll, we'll dive deep uh, a little bit later. But uh, everybody, what are your thoughts of the season? W- what do you think expectations should be, um, both in record and then what we should see on the field? And I'll start with you, Zach. Yeah, obviously, you know, going into this year, you coming off uh, an eleven win season. When you were coming off a ten win season, the the goal is going to be when to to win 12 games and obviously it's not a 12 game year but Florida can get to that mark with the SEC championship and obviously a college football playoff appearance so I, I think that that's the that's the benchmark that's what everybody expects uh, obviously I think the the last thing I said making it to the playoff would uh, be be kind of a, a dream scenario and that would be certainly a situation where Florida would probably be coming off of an SEC championship win and we heard Jeremiah Moon uh, today say that that's the goal and they say that every year that's always the goal but th- this year it's a little bit more realistic and they actually have a chance to do it and like he said especially during a year uh, with COVID he, he was asked why do you feel like this year is going to be different because you guys always want to win championships and he says through the offseason everything that happened with COVID we feel like with our team and the way guys kind of went about the workouts and how we communicated the leadership 
that Florida has that a lot of other teams don't, a lot of other teams lost, uh, he feels like they're prepared to go out there and, and challenge for this championship. Uh, Graham, I, I go over to you to ask a kind of a, a similar question. What's what's kind of the uh, what's the floor? Uh, do you think for the for the Gators this year? Well, I think the floor is that's a tough question because I think it can definitely be defined by several factors. Mm-hmm. This is really, I agree with Zach that this is a year where you know there are so many prime opportunities for a team like Florida to go out and capitalize not only just the minimized field even though I don't know how many of y'all were worried about the Pac-12 anyway. But in any other year, I think that you would look at the situation and spout off 15 opportunities and think that there's a high likelihood that you're going to slip up. No Florida team has gone undefeated, as y'all know. But you add in the factors of quarantining, contact tracing, your opponent possibly getting it from them, the travel, the lack of a bubble. I think that we've all kind of resigned ourselves to thinking – There's going to be cases throughout the season. We're already seeing cases. Whichever team has built depth, manages it the best, is going to put themselves in the best position to be successful this season. And we've never really had a variable like that. So all of us just sitting here predicting how it may look and how it may turn out could look incredibly wrong in a few weeks even. That is kind of the biggest thing that stands out to me. We have no idea what that team is going to look like when they go out there. We don't no idea if all the starters and who's been working at what position is actually going to mean anything come Saturday, because there are so many things outside of Florida's control here, you can only contain a virus for so long. And and I think that if we look back on the season afterwards and, and think that only a virus came in the way of Florida, realizing a schedule that when we looked at it last year, looked really, really favorable to Florida. I, I think that a lot of people will kind of put that asterisk there and say like, well, this happened, and I would hate to see that in any sense, but it's going to be the strangest year that I've ever seen, and I have no idea how it's going to shape up because there's so many variables that we haven't seen before. Absolutely, and Dave, I, I throw this question over to you. Um, you know, Bla- or Blake, sorry, uh, Graham made a you know great point about dealing with depth and, and obviously a, a virus that that has not only you know health implications, but also uh, if you do test positive, whether you have some you know symptoms or not, you know requires a quarantine for you know 14 days, I believe is the SEC's rule. So you know, looking at Florida just from an overall depth perspective and, and team perspective, do you feel like this team is built to weather? Um, whether a, a a storm where where COVID might attack some of that depth? Yeah, I mean, of course, you got to improve. I mean, the, the first position we always go to when this just Gator team has to improve on is the offensive line. So if, if that was a position that got decimated for, through COVID or, or through injuries, then, of course, you, you, you're you expecting uh, – you, you would have to look and see, could Dan Mullen replicate an offense again for two years in a row that has to make up for an offensive line? We, we expect that – group to make a jump but if they get decimated in any shape you know any shape or form then i think you would have to temper expectations a little bit with a, a little tougher schedule with the 10 game sec schedule so yeah that's probably the one position group i'd point to that that would be difficult to overcome because while there are questions that you know receiver and safety there are better numbers there and i think they're, they're trying to figure out ways to get the inexperienced guys more experience or or, or cross training guys that we've heard so many ways and, and the versatility of the, the the defensive back group and the wide receiver position to where if if something happens to those groups i don't think you you wouldn't change your expectations too much because that, to me if it happens to florida it's going to happen to other teams in the SEC as well. It's not going to be just targeted to Florida if COVID happens or whatever. We've already seen it hit Ole Miss pretty hard just a couple of weeks ago. Auburn pretty hard as well. Florida is a little bit later than those two teams, but you know Florida is not going to be the only team that this happens to. So it, it is all about targeted where this hits a certain team. And for Florida, there are a couple of positions where it, it would make us worry just a bit more uh, if they hit them in those areas. Perfect. So I think for the rest of this Gator panel, let's just assume that Florida doesn't deal with any massive COVID attack or, you know, a loss of major depth just because it'd be so hard to pick and choose who those players yeah. are. So, so for the, uh, for the, for the rest of uh, this discussion, let's kind of keep it in, you know, looking at what Florida's roster right now, understanding that there, there's definitely some, uh, some caveats that could be thrown in there. Um, going back to offensive line, Dave, since you brought it up, uh, Zach, this, this question's to you. Um, Florida's offensive line uh, added Stuart Reese, a uh, graduate transfer from uh, Mississippi state who played 
with John Hevesy and Dan Mullen there for a few years and is the brother of um, linebacker, safety, star, uh, whatever position he is. Uh, David Reese, the second on the team. How do you look at, at Florida's offensive line this year and do you expect any improvements? And if so, how big of an improvement? And if not, how how much do you think it could potentially drop? Yeah, well, obviously, it's kind of it's kind of good to oh, excuse me, uh, it's kind of good to hear this after we heard from uh, Todd or excuse me from John Hevesy because he kind of explained what he felt like was uh, you know some of the issues that came up last year specifically with run blocking. Everybody knows that they were kind of able to pass protect uh, for Kyle Trask, but. You look at where they were rushing the ball, 107th nationally, second to, to uh, last in the SEC. They just did not get the job done. And I know Dan Mullen you know, really doesn't care so much about bounds but because uh, he wants to get the job done at the end of the day, and Florida still had a really prolific offense. But John Hevesy wants to have that bounce. He wants that offensive line to be able to open up holes in the run game. So that's something that he said that they've emphasized. He pinpointed kind of miscommunication uh, on the offensive line with you know all the new starters that they had and just guys not knowing their assignments, not really understanding where they needed to go, not stepping and reacting as fast. Uh, that was kind of his explanation after evaluating it uh, with some time now as to why they struggled uh, specifically in the run game. So he feels like they've made improvements there, specifically saying that they haven't really had any MAs, uh, which is missed assignments. They've had very few in fall camp, according to him. We have to really look at what has helped that, and you got to point to Stuart Reese. I mean, that's what I wrote about yesterday, and and him coming in as a guy that has played for Hevesy as much or more than everybody else on this offensive line. And as Stone Forsythe said, came in, already knew all the calls, kind of picked up right where he left off. And he's, I think, stabilized that group without a doubt. And as well as Ethan White uh, with that move that we saw at the beginning of camp, uh, with him going to center, if you can picture a, a starting offensive line of him, you know, Heggie at, at the left guard and and Forsyth at the left tackle, and then I, I think there's some versatility there at the right side of the line. I mean, I, I think you could have Reese and Garage or Delance as the as the tackles, um, or Reese, as as Hevesy said, has been playing tackle as well. So maybe he could be the right tackle and you could have Garage inside. So I think they have some options there on that right side. I think the left um, will maybe be a, a little bit more set in stone, <laughs> so to speak. But, uh, but at, the, at the end of the day, though, as Graham mentioned, you're going to have some weeks where guys could be out and you're going to have to uh, go into your depth. And, and Florida's got the numbers there. Uh, you know, he signed a bunch of linemen last year and then and brought in some from this past uh, cycle that he feels really good about. So the offensive line is in a much better place than it was a year ago where, you know, you were – basically re replacing three starters and and Forsyth was coming back but that was his first year starting so they were really young last year and, and obviously feels like they've matured a lot I love it uh, Dave this question is, is over to you is there anybody on the offensive line that you're particularly excited um to see that is maybe not as well known of a name so you know maybe take out Brett Hagee or you know Stuart Reese is there any name that you're excited about on the offensive line <laughs> I hate to put it on a true freshman in that position, but Josh Braun to me, just cause of his size and, you know, he played tennis in high school and he's got the mobility, the, the nimbleness, I guess, if you want to say to have some movement to him, to, to probably play multiple positions there, be big bodied. And look, he, uh, um, have to say even said, you know, it's easier to learn guard for a true freshman uh, at that point right now. So probably sticking him there and uh, probably a chance to play. I know we've all heard injury rumors along the offensive line. We'll see if that ever comes to fruition next week when uh, Mullen talks about the roster of, bit and some injury news but you know if if some of those rumors are true then maybe it shifts him up then to, to get more of a, a play um uh, a more more some playing time but you know isaiah walker transferred out in, in the spring and that really led you know josh braun to be the uh the top guy top recruit at the offensive line position so he's, he's one guy i'll pinpoint it's um as of right now, if kind of every as you kind of laid this out, if everything kind of goes right and you don't have a lot of injuries or anything, if we see him in the lineup, it's probably a good thing because he went and earned his way for some more playing time. You know, we're not talking injuries, we're not talking COVID decimating and him getting inserted that way. We're discussing, hey, I, my thing is if I see him on the offensive line and everything's normal, that means I know he went out there, he learned a playbook, he went and earned it. So uh, he's probably one guy I'm kind of eager to see uh, just because. Um, 
you know, I, I hate putting that label on true freshmen uh, a bit, especially for that position group and the defensive lines you're going to face week in and week out, especially now with 10 SEC games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, ha, ha, Josh, Josh Brown's probably the, the one guy I'll pinpoint there. I, I just it. want to say real quick, I, I agree with Dave there. I mean, I think on in a situation where Florida loses some linemen, especially with the guard spot or if maybe one of the guards has to play center, hint, hint, um, you know, I, you could see a situation where Braun maybe gets uh, into the mix early or at least gets into the rotation because uh, I think despite being a true freshman, because he got in and got those five bowl practices, uh, that's going to help him come this fall. And it may be a point to where we saw like Ethan White. It may be like maybe around halfway halfway through the season where he starts mm-hmm. getting inserted. You get, what, five, six more weeks of practice and he's ready to insert himself into, into a game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Graham, I'm moving off of the, the offensive line. Want to, want to look uh, just cause Zach brought it up about, um, you know, running last year and, and Florida just didn't have as dynamic of a running attack as you're used to seeing under, under Dan Mullen, you know, Florida's returning Damian Pierce as uh, to look to be the starting running back this year. They brought in five-star Lorenzo Lingard from Miami who did receive his waiver and is eligible to play this year as well as Malik Davis is coming back uh, who uh, came off of an injury uh, two seasons ago, played sparingly last season. Uh, and then, and you also have uh, Naquan Wright and Iverson Clement, who are the, the younger, uh, kind of less experienced backs back there. Uh, what should we expect out of Florida's uh, running attack this year? Well, real quick, I think, you know, you, you want to move away from offensive line, but I think so much of that actually you know, obviously starts with the offensive line being much improved. As we all know, we all, I think, are on the same page that the offensive line is going to take a huge Jump And, you know, I agree with you guys on Braun, absolutely. But being with the Gainesville Sun, I got to make that quick local plug. I was out there at Buholtz's game last week and had a chance to see that offensive line since they lost Mark Pitts. As many of you all know, Mark Pitts with the Gators early enrolled, was going to go to UCF, was actually ranked as one of the top 100 offensive linemen by 24-7 sports before he took a preferred walk-on offer to come to Florida. At the time, I thought that that was just a really good deal for Florida. But needing as many offensive as many as many bodies as a team is going to need this season due to COVID and depth issues, that even looks more valuable to me. Now, I don't know if he's actually going to play this year, but I, that just looks like such a wise move in retrospect. So, But when turning to the run game, I know a lot of people talk often about the recruiting and the need to get another top back. And I'm not saying that that is absolutely not the case when it comes to retaking the state of Florida and reasserting Florida, reasserting itself as a top five recruiting power. But you have to like the five backs that are on the roster. I've heard great things about Naquan Wright's improvement, Iverson Clemens' improvement, Damian Pierce stepping up in a leadership role. We knew that he was a very vocal presence in the locker room, and now he's really kind of turned that maturity on up a notch that was kind of left in the wake of LaMichael P. Ryan departing. And then Malik Davis, you know, I think that what had happened to him based off the injuries, the coaching change, the bounce back, the fumbles, let's be honest, really did not help him regain that confidence that was lost in the wake. And you're, you're finally seeing that Malik Davis that you saw in the middle of the freshman season. So I, I fully expect Florida's offensive line to be improved. And as a result, Florida's run game to be improved because this team, if they really are going to make the leap, I think that they need to be a little more balanced offensively uh, than they were last season. And I think that that room has been made aware of it. <laughs> Perfect. Great answer, Graham. Uh, Zach, over to you. Uh, how do you envision carries being split this year in the backfield? Yeah, I mean, I think Mullen has uh, gave us a little bit of perspective on that. And, and honestly, I mean, it sounds like it's a little bit of a competition right now for that third spot behind Malik Davis and Damian Pierce uh, with with Naquan Wright, as Graham said, kind of coming on. And Lorenzo Lingard, obviously, with a lot of ability and things that he can bring to that position, still having to learn the offense and, and behind not just Pierce and Davis, but but even Naquan Wright and Iverson Clement. So having said that, he has some ability that uh, those guys don't have. So he's going to have a chance, I think, to get his spots in games. And then if he can produce with those opportunities, he'll get more carries, kind of like what we saw with uh, you know Pierce as a freshman, but I do think that he is going to definitely be running back one. And with everything that we've heard on uh, Malik Davis, I mean, it's like everybody you talk to coaches, players, and then certainly him, he's, uh, he's finally turned the corner. It seems like, and and it's been multiple practices where he stood out and uh, has finally got his confidence back and he's got over his injuries. And if he can be that one, two punch with Pierce, and then you throw in a bowling ball type runner, 
and and Naquan Wright, who's a, you know the short guy that's going to be tough to tackle, and and but averaged over nine or excuse me over ten yards per carry mm-hmm. in Miami Dade. I mean that that that's pretty impressive. So I, I'm excited about what he can do, and then obviously uh, um, the the transfer that they brought in in Lingard with some of his ability in open space and the speed that he had in high school and being a member of the Miami track and field team. Uh, I mean, you add somebody like that to the roster and, and get him uh, eligible right away. You got some options there, and then you throw in Iverson Clement as well as is, is kind of a bigger back and someone that you can put in maybe some goal line situation. So to have that kind of depth uh, is the reason why Florida doesn't have a, a running back commit right now and why they've turned down some guys in this 21 cycle. Hey, Dan, Dan, on that point before you move on, and I found it interesting, too, because you go back to 2018 where Florida could actually run the ball, and Jordan Mm -hmm. Scarlett and Michael Pirine's stats were almost split. I mean, they Mm -hmm. almost had the exact same stats. You go to last year when they basically had to pass the ball almost every down, and Michael Pirine was out there way more than any other running back. It was a far cry from what we saw the year before. So I do wonder if the run game does work, do we see more of a 50-50 between the top two guys, or is it still going to be like it was last year and Pierce Mm -hmm. being the guy more more so out there? And look, Pirine had some qualities about him, of course, that he could catch the ball at the backfield. He was was a really good blocker as well. But I do wonder if Florida can run the ball as good or even near what they did in 2018, do we see a kind of a 50-50 split with the top two guys? Sure. You know, Florida's always has been able to, at least for, for quite some time, have kind of that bell cow of that that running back room where you're either having somebody that has kind of earned their time and is kind of the, the preeminent favorite with a with a pretty large gap between, you know, number one and number two or a grouping. Right. Whether it's, you know, Scarlett and Pirine, um, you know, but but last season, you know, there was a, there was a lot of hope with Damian Pierce and there's there's been some injuries throughout his career. But, you know, I think that 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 Pirine you know, was a little bit more of a threat, you know, with Florida struggling running the ball, you know, P Ryan was probably the better pass catcher than, than Damian Pierce was out of that position. And, you know, not being able to, to totally count on Malik Davis last year, I don't know if Florida had a ton of options. And I think if Florida was going to throw in Damian Pierce, it was almost a, an assumed as he was either going to run or he, he was going to block. There wasn't necessarily, you know, the opportunity for him to, to be that pass catching uh, running back as well. So what I'm curious most about this year, uh, and Dave, maybe get your thoughts on this, is, you know, Florida is, you know, almost, re- you know, whereas Damian Pierce has certainly shown flashes of of excellence and, and being able to be a great north-south runner, run over some folks and, and can be a little bit shifty, he's not been able to really carry a full season's load, you know, under his uh, belt. And last season we saw the Michael Pierre and really take a, a large majority of the carries. Do we think that Damian Pierce, with those injury, um, you know, concerns in the past, do you think Florida maybe relies on a – you know, on a on a split almost by necessity to protect Damian Pierce as your your number one and and limiting his chances of getting hurt or or how do you um, portray that that situation kind of playing out? Well, if that's the case, you know, Davis has kind of got the the same reputation of yeah. his injuries as well. So I don't know if you're going to protect him too much there with him, but um, yeah, I think you know with 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 Pierce and Davis. Uh, I would, I would prefer the 50-50 split if we get the 2017 Malik Davis and, and the flashes that we saw there. Um, I don't know. I, I still have my doubts about how large of a jump this run – the, the run game right. will be better. It will sure. be better. I just don't know. Do we see it the 2018 form or do is it kind of somewhere in between 2018 and, and, and last season? So, um, I don't know. I, I've heard Pierce through, throughout camp has been really hard to take down. He's mm-hmm. putting a bruising on the defense, and they don't necessarily want to tackle him right now. <laughs> That's just the, <laughs> the physicality he's bringing. He's bringing to the table. Um, I just think this, these ten SEC games, and I'll go back to that, to that too many times. It's gonna be. It's gonna take a physical toll. Yeah, and Florida being five deep at, at that position, and the 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 good word we're hearing from Naquan Wright to add a fourth piece in the mix with Lorenzo Lingard as well. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, I think we'll see it. I think we'll see the two Pierce and Davis kind of lead the way. But I wouldn't be surprised if we, you know, see some special packages in a certain way for the for the other guys. Like for, for Lorenzo yep. Lingard, take an example. We know he's fast. We know he can make plays. He may not have the full offense down. He may not be able to run between the tackles all, mm-hmm. all too all, all too great right now. But if you can get him on the edge and you can set up right. a defense to get him on the edge and hit some big plays, and that's what he's going to be known for. Then I, I I think that we see two kind of just take away. From, from the rest, but you see the other guys make some big plays in, in special spots, kind of like how Damian Pierce has done so far. Yep. You see special 
parts or, or putting a game away. And that's kind of that's kind of where I see that their third, fourth, fifth running backs coming in play. Absolutely, Dave. And I think they make a great point. And, and you know, playing ten ACC games in eleven games, no, or in eleven weeks, pardon me. No matter how good all of the teams in the SEC are, are still teams that were recruited by most teams across the entire country, right? So they're they're going to be big, they're going to be strong, they're going to be physical, and they're going to want to get Florida's number. I mean, everybody knows that when they play Florida, they're looking at a team that's been projected to be in the college football playoff, and they're a team that you know has been hyped up. And you know, you're going to get every team's best game, especially with you know minimal opportunities to play this season. You know, that leads me to a question about depth, Zach, and I'm going to kind of shift the positions here over to tight end. Uh, you know, Obviously, Florida expects the world out of Kyle Pitts this year. Uh, he's likely a, a, a finalist for the Mackey Award, which goes to the top tight end this year. After that, there's some shakiness um, you know, at the yeah. position. Uh, what do you think uh, you know, Florida does at the tight end position? Obviously, you're going to rely a lot on Kyle Pitts, but what do you think the Florida does beyond you know, just Kyle Pitts at that position this year? Did you hear what Mullen said? Uh, well, I don't know if it was last week, Dave, but he, he basically said our our tight end depth is not good, I think was his comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that, that that was pretty telling, I, I think, to hear from, from him because as much as I think as people were excited about Keon Zipper and, and the opportunities that he's certainly going to get this year, um, he's still behind Kyle Pitts and he's still a redshirt freshman. And, you know, the, all the responsibilities that go with that spot, it's not like coming in and uh, just being a receiver out there catching passes. you got to do a lot more with those responsibilities and the assignments. And for him to be, I think, as Tim Brewster likes to call, a, a complete tight end, a three-down tight end, uh, he's still got a ways to go in his development. Whereas you look at Kamori Gamble, he's at the end, the tail end of his development and his college career. And he's, I think, just trying to, obviously be that that second option for uh, Kyle Trask behind Kyle Pitts. And, you know, if he can do that and certainly what he brings from a blocking standpoint and knowledge of the offense and and what I think some of the things that they're going to try and do in the run game with Emory Jones, with Kadarius Toney, and obviously all the running backs that they have, uh, having someone like Gamble that is is a, a seasoned veteran and, and has, I think, some blocking ability as well as some pass catching that he can do that's I think you feel good about that. Whereas, like I said, behind that, the depth is, is still developmental with Zipperer and uh, certainly with Jonathan Odom. I mean, he's just a, a young cat. Uh, I mean, probably would be redshirting this year uh, if it wasn't a free year, basically. I mean, he'd get in his four games, but I don't think he would play more than that. I'm, I'm really excited to see what Zipperer does, if he can take that next step. And for me, he kind of brings that, Aaron Hernandez role to the offense with the shovel passes and being more of an H back. And so if he can incorporate that to the tight end position and, and offer something else that Pitts doesn't really do. And certainly gamble doesn't do, that'll be his way to see the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. Graham, I uh, want to get your thoughts up uh, just because there's a lot to cover today over on that, that, the wide receiver position, obviously, Florida is replacing a lot of production. Uh, their top four safeties all made NFL, or pardon me, all four uh, wide receivers that they lost from last season did make NFL roster. So replacing a lot of production, a lot of seniority, um, a lot of speed, a lot of size, a lot of ability to block, you know, the playbook. Give us kind of your overview of that position. Florida obviously um, has some talent like Trayvon Grimes returning, um, Kadarius Toney. Uh, they bring in some some new players like um, Jaquavion Frazier's, uh, Xavier Henderson. They bring in a guy like um, uh, Justin Shorter from Penn State who was cleared. Uh, and then they have some folks like Jacob Copeland who have some talent. And, you know, Rick Wells, who we've heard a lot about, and, and Vari continues to talk about on the timeline every year. Um, and you have a guy like Trent. Winnemore, who's in his second year. Talk to us about what, what Florida might be able to expect uh, out of that position. And um, obviously there is going to be a potential drop-off, but um, what do you see out of that entire group? And, and who's maybe a name that we should look out for? I see an incredible amount of potential. I, I think that's really the first word to use when you look at guys like Justin Shorter, Jacob Copeland, I, I think even Grimes in this sense, even in Cradarius Tony, you could say that potential is the biggest word we use. And when you look at their pure athleticism or their ability going up for the ball, there's so much that I think leaves fans to be desired because, you know, if they put it all together, they could be this excellent receiver, as we just saw Florida's last receiver class be for this program. I think that when you really look at some of these guys, though, I don't want to say unproven is necessarily the word, but I think big shoes to fill. I, I am even more worried about this group, I would say, than the offensive line 
and that isn't necessarily a knock because I think they can absolutely go out and impress me, but the leadership that guys like Freddie Swain and Hammond brought Josh Hammond brought to the position, uh, you know, can they really trust Kadarius Tony at kick returner as much as they trusted Freddie Swain? That is a question that I have for this team. And, and I think that they can absolutely step up to, to the bat here. And that's why I use the word potential guys like Trent Whittemore, Jamarcus Weston, Xavier Henderson, they're working extremely hard in camp from what I've heard. And if these other guys who came back to the program and, and let's be honest, missed a, a few early practices, they could outwork them in a sense and earn reps this season. I absolutely expect guys like Xavier Henderson and Trent Whittemore to see the season, to see the field this season and, and how much they see the field, I think is going to be determined not only by the health of the health of this team, but how much guys like Trey Grimes and, and Jacob Copeland step up and grab that leadership opportunity in front of them. Perfect. Uh, Dave, kind of similar question to you. Uh, Florida obviously replacing a lot of leadership there, a lot of catches and everything else. Um, how do you envision Florida using uh, the wide receiver room um, this year, maybe a little bit different than last year? Yeah, I, I hit this hard on the last Gators breakdown, too. I think this group has the chance for a lot more explosiveness. They may not be the dependable group as the last year. Like my, my biggest question is, on third and seven, when Florida needs a score or to extend the lead to put a game away, Who's the guy they're going to go to on third mm-hmm. and seven? You, and you got to have that. You got to have that catch. You got to have that clutch moment. Who's the guy they're going to look to in that position? I think they had Van Jefferson, of course, last year. Freddie Swain, that you knew if you needed that play, you could do it. And you know, I ran some numbers and stuff. And in in, in those situ- certain situations, Grimes and Copeland did pretty well. And I think that can lend itself to players like Van Jefferson and Freddie Swain and I, like open, opening I, it up I for wanna, those guys. I want to chi- chime in real quick, not yeah. to cut you off, but you made me think. Got to give props to Grimes, probably one of the best third down catches and yep. most important third down catches of the Mullen era was that tip ball that he got against South Carolina. <laughs> Absolutely. That led to the Absolutely. touchdown drive. I think it was Tony scored on, but without mm-hmm. that catch and that drive would have ended. I mean, that comeback doesn't happen. Um, so he, he, I agree with you. He's probably got to be that next guy that steps into that role. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, my my question is, did the the veteran receivers out Florida lost? Did it open it up for those guys, and that's why they were able to do that? Or mm-hmm. since those guys are the the focal point of the wide receiver group now, can they still keep that third down production or right. or that certain sim- similar situation up? So, but I do think with with shorter Henderson. Grimes, I think your explosiveness, your downfield passing game, as long as the offensive line gives Kyle Trask some time, I think that actually can take a step forward more so than the group that we saw last year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just because we just have so much more to get to. Um, Zach, thoughts on uh, quarterback? Obviously, Kyle Trask is your um, your your starter this season. Um, Florida is expecting, you know, graduate level growth and progression from him, as Dan Mullen would say. Um, Emory Jones is the question everybody wants to know. Um, how much do you think that we see Emory Jones this year? Yeah, obviously, you're going to see him. And I, I, I'm telling you, I think you're going to see Anthony Richardson, too. Okay, and and I don't think just in oh it's four games so let him play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because of COVID, I think because of wanting to protect your quarterbacks and especially Kyle, and and also to give Emory um, more of a leash and, and let him be more of a passer. I think some of those maybe runs that went to Emory last year, although he's still going to get a lot of them. Uh, I'm just interested to see what Anthony can do because we've heard a lot of buzz about him. And it's just funny because I I think everyone's wondering what this two quarterback system is going to look like. And then all of a sudden it's third and two and you run Anthony Richardson out there Um, because I do think that he's going to get those opportunities and it's going to be in more than four games. Now, having said that, um, this is Kyle Trask teams, Kyle Trask offenses, Kyle Trask job. But uh, Emery, as far as your question is how much we're going to see more of him. I think you're going to see him get drives to himself, and that's kind of one thing I've always pointed to is is not you know being we're in a situation where Kyle's coming in to get the initial first down, or he's coming in to bail him out on third and long. That he right. gets a drive, and it's not. Uh, and he's gotten some of those. He got it against Florida State. Uh, he mm-hmm. got some against LSU. Uh, yep, but Auburn. just getting a more of them where this is your series. You go take it, and obviously, if he can take them down the field and produce points, he's going to get more of those chances. Right. Um, and if he doesn't, they're going to keep Kyle in there, and he's not going to have a reason to complain, not that he would, 
Um, but I just think that that's kind of where they're at. They, I think uh, in situations where they feel like they want to coach Kyle up or just kind of talk to him about what they want to do offensively, um, you can you know, now do that and, and let Emory go have a series. So I think you're going to see that a lot more often. I, I, there's no way to really tell what the uh, snap, how, the, how those are sure. going to get split up. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I've always said this, and I said this on radio last week, um, yeah, yes, you have a quarterback. Yes, you have your guy that's supposed to be the leader of the team, and you have your QB1. And that's always going to be the case with Dan Mullen, and we know how much success he's had with that position. But let's be very clear. He and that staff treat that spot just as every other position on the field. And if you are a weapon at that spot, and you can bring something to the offense and you can bring something uh, specifically to the quarterback play, they're going to find a way to use you. They're not going to keep you on the bench, which is why I go back to what I originally started with with Richardson. Um, if he can come in there because he's a bigger body, because he's a different skill set than not only Trask but Jones as well, um, why not use him to uh, take some of those hits away from Emmy? certainly take some of those hits away from Kyle and then get him the experience because he has the free year. So I think that applies to him. I think that applies to Emory when he's going to get in the game. Those are weapons that they have on offense, just like the weapons that they have at running back, just like the weapons that they have at receiver, just like the weapons they have at tight end with zipper. Mm -hmm. You can see him get in the game with a shovel pass is the same reason why Emory's going to get in the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to see him get, uh, you know, more opportunity. I think we saw some, it, it, I, I thought it was a bit strange at times that they, when they put him into games, the plays that they would run him in uh, and then immediately run him out on. Um, so I'm hoping for some more continuity at that. Um, just because we've gone on a little long already, want to move to the defensive side of the ball with you, Graham, uh, give us your kind of overview of defense. What What's a position that you think is, uh, you know, Florida's going to thrive at and be their most successful position. And what's your, your biggest concern? I, you know, I think that the secondary and defensive line, you could make a case for both of them being Florida's one of their strongest position groups. I, I know that the interior of the defensive line does leave a little bit to be desired in terms of depth, especially after Florida lost guys like Elijah Conliffe uh, and several starters last season. Kyrie Campbell and TJ Slayton. Absolutely. I think I'm going to you're going to see a big year out of them this year. The end position, I don't think there's a huge question. Zach Carter, Brenton Cox, several others bring a whole bunch to that position. Then when you look at the secondary, obviously everyone knows that Kair Elam, big expectations for him. Marco Wilson, definitely still in a leadership role. I don't think really those are questions. So obviously what I'm saying is that the linebacker group, I, I think, has to take, not only has to take a huge step forward, but I think in terms of the communication aspect, if they are going to rotate guys in, frequently if they are going to use you know a whole bunch of youth and underclassmen everything that we've been saying there's a obviously a lot, a lot that has to happen for florida's coaching staff to trust that they can pull that off and and really david reese's absence i, I know that we because he's not you know a, a guaranteed nfl star i think a lot of people don't understand the impact that he had in the middle of that Florida defense last year, right. often when guys didn't know the play call, they could look to him and he would tell you exactly your assignment, where you were going and often what the offense was trying to do. And that communication and leadership aspect has been recognized by guys like James Houston, Ventrell Miller, who I wrote about after he spoke last week, they understand that, but it's not that easy. Certainly, you know, you can take all of the responsibility and then also all the blame will be put on you as well. I think they have a lot of young pieces in there. Derek Wingo, I'm excited to see what he can do at the position. David Reese, the second as well, wherever Florida decides to use him. But absolutely, if I'm worried about one aspect, I think it's right there, a middle linebacker. With all that said, James Houston, Florida's coaching staff knows what he can do. One of the elephants of the room kind of was that he was more often, I think, defined by those few boneheaded plays that ended up costing Florida like the penalty late in the game, which is escaping me right now. And then prior to that against Tennessee, where he got caught on the, on the field and running off and that really hurt Florida. Um, even though they won that game easily, Florida's coaching staff sees him in practice every day and knows how talented he is. And now it's just <laughs> going to come down to putting that on the field and going out there and doing that. And if he steps into that role, I think that you could see a guy um, who we look back on after the season and say, wow, uh, that position was not as tenuous as we thought it was. 
Absolutely. Um, Dave, a question to you. Obviously, there's some question marks at the safety position. You know, Florida returns Donovan Steiner. They recruit, or they return uh, Brad Stewart. Uh, they return um, Trey Dean over to the safety position. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they return um, uh, Sean Davis as well. Uh, Florida d- it did add some uh, some freshmen as well. But if you were to, and, and Ron English came on um, to Stay Miguel podcast, talked a lot about rotating safeties, talked about how Todd Grantham likes to rotate safeties. A lot of people over the last few years have really questioned some of that safety rotation. Um, but Dave, what do you see out of that safety position this year? And who do you think gets the bulk of the snaps at that position? I wish I could say with confidence I knew. But <laughs> man, the, the, the rotation that we saw last year, just it makes me wonder. that they, they, they flip out guys so often there. And it is probably by design. They probably like each aspect of, uh, of the certain guys there. And now you're going to throw Trey Dean into the mix, who by all accounts, you know, of course, you know, we've seen pictures looks like a monster right now. And then right. also um, probably put some more athleticism uh, back there. Where's his confidence level at? It's probably my biggest question with, with two years getting his first year, getting thrust into the cornerback position, maybe before he's a little bit ready Then not so much, so much success at nickel uh, last year. Where's his head at? I mean, of course right now you're, you're going to hear a lot of good things out of camp and, Right, that's one of them uh, that he's taken to that little safety role a uh, bit and, and making some plays back there. But it was between him, Sean Davis, and, and and Brad Stewart. There's your most athletic three back there that can probably be the playmakers back there. And then you got, you know, the Donovan Steiner there, who you know for for all the the, the slack, you know, still makes plays at times when it, when you least expect it. And in some big games the last two years, and he's going to get a lot of playing time. And, you know, if I don't know how much the the things that he struggles in is basically, you know, a running back coming right at him. He struggles breaking down a play right in front of mm-hmm. him. I mean, he doesn't let up, let up a lot of big plays behind him. It's more the plays that are in front of him. Some of that's athleticism, and I wonder some of that how much how much of it can be taught uh, as well. He's played a lot in this system there, so I, I think just for pure athleticism reasons. Dean Stewart Davis get a whole lot of playing time when Florida's going to need some, I think, more turnovers uh, for for this defense as a whole. Um, but I, I think we're going to see Donovan Snyder a good bit too. So I think between those four, I still think we see a pretty healthy rotation uh, as far as playing time goes. And kind of one more aspect, Dan, about about this defense. Yeah. Uh, the previous question. I have no questions about a pass rush. It's going to happen. 49 mm-hmm. sacks last year. You saw it the year before with Jacob Polite and Jabari Zuniga going crazy. Can this be the year it happens in the big games? That's that's mm-hmm. when we have to see it. When you when you go play Georgia, when you play LSU, you know, granted, two years ago against LSU, they, they rushed Burrow really good and just couldn't get it done last year. But, of course, we, we pinpoint to that Georgia game, and Florida has no issue rushing a passer for a whole season. But dude, line up in Jacksonville, and they cannot get to – that was, you know, Jake Fromm at the time, and and, and get by that stone wall of, a, of the Georgia offensive line. They replaced so many players. They replaced a quarterback in that game. So and maybe even just pinpointing in that game, can the pass rush show up in Jacksonville? Right. Absolutely. Now, that's a great question, which Zach brings a, uh, a good question over to you. Florida's brought in Brenton Cox, five-star uh, from Georgia, sat out last season for all intents and purposes, has been talked about almost like a man amongst boys uh, when talking about the defense and the defensive line at that Buck position. Um, what are your expectations for Brenton Cox? And then where else do you think besides Brenton Cox, Florida might get some production uh, in the backfield of opponents on defense? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so intrigued by him. Uh, I think I'm writing a big uh, or working on a big feature that you guys can check out at GatorsTerritory.com because it's just uh, I think he's one of the most intriguing players on this roster because he got number one. And he hasn't even played a snap at UF, and I, you know, I know people don't read into numbers too much and maybe look into that, but I know here it's a big deal, and you know, you don't get that number unless like the coaches feel you deserve it, and so for him to have earned that and be a transfer guy and have never played, he must have just really like impressed the heck out of them uh, over this past year with whatever he did off the field, whatever he did in practice. And that's kind of what everybody said to me when I've asked them is, is just how he's carried himself off the field, even knowing that, you know, he wasn't guaranteed anything. And certainly his waiver process that he had to go through as Christian Robinson said uh, today, Never complained, never was upset, just showed up to work every day, uh, was a kind of a quiet kid. He doesn't talk a lot. Um, he just go, gets after it. Uh, and I think that the way that he approached that, uh, Grantham said that he's a, a really good student. So a combination of all that is, is why 
he, he's kind of got that recognition. And then w- what he does on the field, specifically at that buck spot, you're right. I mean, the buzz is he's going to be or is, you know, the best player that they've had at that spot since Grantham has been here. So just thinking about what he could do after seeing what Grenard was able to produce and uh, Polite, uh, you know, we heard, I think, Forsyth said that he's a little bit more like Polite in terms of his skill set and his pass rushing ability. So I'm excited to see what he can do, although, you know, he's not just going to play that buck spot. I think that there's going to be times where you're going to see him line up at defensive end and you'll have Moon at buck or somebody else at buck. Uh, Grantham's going to mix it up and have some different packages uh, so that they can get uh, all those guys on the field. And if it's not Moon, maybe it's uh, Chris Bogle. I mean, there's going to be a healthy rotation there. It's not just going to be a one-man show. And Cox is the type of guy that, like I said, he could probably play one or two or maybe even three spots. Um, so I'm excited to see about what he can do. He's you know got some big shoes to fill with the guy that was the sack leader in the SEC, tackles for loss leader in the SEC, and in the, the first-team SEC uh, All-American. Absolutely. All right, boys. So as we uh, kind of wind down the show, want to get from each of you, we'll start with you, uh, Graham, get your, your offensive player of the year, and then maybe your maybe breakout player of the year on offense, maybe a name that, that we aren't expecting or, or isn't a household name, uh, and then same on defense. So um, player of the year on offense, breakout player of the year on offense, player of the year on defense, and breakout player of the year on defense. All right. Uh, player of the year on offense, I got to go with Kyle Trask. I know that's kind of a cop out. I'm, I'm blessed to go first with this question. I think that if, <laughs> obviously with Dan Mullen, any offense that he's going to run is going to start and end with the quarterback position in terms of, I think, importance and disguising what the team's trying to do. I'm absolutely with Zach that I think we're going to see all three quarterbacks this year because that's what happened in the past with Felipe, Kyle Trask and Emory Jones. So I would not mm-hmm. be surprised to see them switch it up consistently. And you also get the side of the defense saying that that's what they've been doing. So it starts and ends with Kyle Trask. I do think that Naquan Wright is going to have maybe that potential breakout impact role, although I'm kind of tempted to say Trent Whittemore as well. Uh, I think that both of those guys will surprise Florida with their usage, surprise fans with their usage this season for Florida. Based on what is coming out of camp, that is going to be a big determinant of how much a coaching staff can trust guys early and the names ascending to the top are going to get a better chance. So I'm going to go with those guys and my player of the year when it comes to defense. uh, That's a tough one, man. That is a really tough one. I I want to go with Brenton Cox and I don't want to take anything away from him whatsoever by saying this, but I'm actually going to go with Zachary Carter, who I don't think many of us have really mentioned because although I'm totally sure where he's going to line up, I think that his leadership, his voice in the locker room and what we saw last season, even before last season and last spring, his physical transformation just kind of makes me think that he's really going to be that guy there that can fill in at any spot, really kind of like a Stuart Reese that has been in this program the entire time where he can play at various spots on the line if someone goes down for Florida. So I really think that he's going to be a huge impact player for Florida on defense this year. And what am I missing? The breakout player on defense? This is the tough one, man. All right, breakout player on defense, I think is going to be a freshman. I'm going to go with Gervin Dexter. You know, we didn't really mention him. I think that he absolutely has a chance to play this year. He's in the mix to play minutes this season. I know that there are other freshman defensive tackles that are going to get some shine. Jalen Lee, Jalen Humphreys. I I know that those guys are probably right there with him or above, but this is a freshman that, as we all know, has to see the field in year one, whether it's the four games or longer, he could potentially be the Ethan White of this class where he actually plays six games. And then after this season, we're talking about him being set up as one of these early young leaders on the defensive line as a team that may, as a unit that may actually lose a good bit from, from this team after this season, if everything goes according to plan. So I'm looking for him to step up because I think as all Florida fans know, for some reason, they have this reputation for not getting big impact five stars. And I think with Gervin Dexter, a guy who was the top defensive tackle in that class, I think you're going to see him be used this season. I would also not be surprised if Derek Wingo was used this season, but I'm going with Gervin Dexter. Cool. Dave, question to you. Yep. Uh, probably easy. Kyle Pitts, uh, player, okay. player of the year offense. I just think uh, 
draft stocks so high. Kyle Pitts or Kyle Trask is his quarterback. Um, Emory can get him the ball too if he's going to be in that passing situation. So I think he's just a mismatch. He's just so much of a mismatch there, whether he's on the end line or splitting him out. I just think uh, Kyle Pitts. We we saw enough of it last year. I don't really have to explain the kind of player he is. <laughs> he's just going to he's going to pick up where he left off last year. Uh, I'm going Jacob Copeland for breakout player. Um, just, I think we've kind of all just been waiting on it. I think the size, stature, um, the, the pictures from uh, Nick Savage that we have <laughs> we've seen uh, his workouts. Just he looks like a beast out there. Gets more of an opportunity now with uh, so many wide receivers moving on. So uh, Jacob Copeland, I think, takes that uh, next step. Uh, I'll go Jeremiah Moon for uh, player okay. of the year on defense. Uh, I, I like to me, I think it's going to be a pass rusher. We've seen it under the first two years of Todd Grantham of no matter who's there, whether it be Ja'Kai Polite, Jabari Zuniga, even a new guy like Jonathan Grenard coming in and uh, and, and leading the way and, and being the player of the year on defense. Somebody from that defensive end rushing position is going to be, uh, to me, probably <laughs> at least up there for player of the year. You probably can pick from a few guys uh, overall in the defense who could be player of the year, and we'll probably get that uh, through all of us here. Uh, but I'll go Jeremiah Moon there for breakout. Brenton Cox, I'm probably cheating. Nah, I'll, I'll, that, 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 that is cheating there, just because he hasn't been up Florida. So uh, I'll just go, I'll go Mamou Diabate. Uh, he's, he'll he'll line up in so many different positions on the defense. Uh, we, we we talked with Christian Robinson uh, as Zach mentioned today. He's played some. He's played in the middle at, at linebacker. He can go play a a rush in spot too if he needs to. We saw him have a breakout game versus Vanderbilt last year with three sacks. But go put it all together for a, a breakout season this year for Mamou Diabate. Excellent, Zach. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a, this is a great uh, question, great conversation. Um, obviously, a lot of candidates. First of all, so I mean, I, I'll run through some, and, I, and I'm going to pick some different names just so that we can mix it up and, and not have the same players picked. Um, but for offensive player of the year, certainly you, you look at uh, the quarterback and tight end combination uh, with the, with the Kyle to Kyle connection, and uh, whether it's Pitts, whether it's Trask, I mean, both of those guys are going to be player of the year type candidates, uh, MVP type candidates. I think outside of that, um, Trevon Grimes has a chance to t- probably be that guy. But I'm going to go a little bit differently. And we're going to say player of the year. I'm going to also kind of ca- categorize this as MVP. And I'm going to go Stuart Reese. Okay. I, I, I really feel like he is going to be the difference in them taking that next step as an offense because he is going to stabilize that offensive line. Uh, he's going to shore up the right side. He's going to have those uh, other guys come along, and then he's going to make everything else go. With the run game, the you know, protection's going to get even better, and then everything else is going to go, and all those other guys that I mentioned are going to have a chance to be player of the year type candidates because he helps that offensive line improve so much. So I'm going to go with Reese. Um, I think for breakout player, uh, I mean, you honestly, I mean, you could – kind of say Malik Davis because if he does have a breakout season I mean he w- would kind of fit mm-hmm. this category but I if we're going to go a guy that's kind of a, a younger player a name that we haven't uh, seen or heard from as much uh, I think it's going to be a guy at wide receiver it could be Justin Shorter uh, although I think that Grimes is is still going to be kind of that that option that they have uh, out wide a lot but I'm going to go Jamarcus Weston. I think just him being here a little bit longer than shorter. I think both of those guys are going to have their opportunities and be used. But uh, I'm going to go with Mullen, man. I mean, let, let's show us what you got, right? I mean, he's been hyping this guy up for two years. And uh, I, I've heard some good things about him out of fall camp. So I think that he'll be the guy out of that next tier of receivers to kind of step up and help with uh, Copeland and, and Grimes and, and Tony. And then switching over to the defensive side, Obviously, the player of the year candidates. You mentioned a guy like Cox, even though he's never played, uh, he, he could uh, be that by the end of the season. I really like the pick of Jeremiah Moon. That probably yep. would have been mine. I think when you talk about alpha dogs on Sorry, defense, uh, <laughs> he, he's no, it's fine. When we talk about alpha dogs, I think that he's probably one of those guys, if not the guy, which is funny because he's not a re- really like rah rah, you know, outspoken guy. But remember, Mullen called Martez Ivy the alpha dog on offense of the 2018 team. So it doesn't always have to be um, somebody like a Jonathan Grenard, so to speak. Um, but I'm going to go with Ventrell Miller. Uh, and that's really based off of everything that I've heard in the last week or so of just him dropping 15 pounds, him 
kind of fending off all of those other guys at middle linebacker and clearly locking down that role to take over for David Reese. Christian Robinson said today that he is the leader of the de- he's the leader of the middle linebacker spot. He's the one that's making all the calls on defense. Um, there's some other guys obviously that are repping there and going to play, but if he really has taken on the leadership as as well that we've heard from uh, Todd Grantham, he gave him some praise on that front. I think that you could uh, look at Miller as being the guy that has to take over for David Reese, and if he fills those shoes, um, that's in a really important role on this defense. Um, and then breakout player, again, we could I, you could go with some guys that are known, and you mm-hmm. could go with Dean at safety. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he has a chance to have a breakout season. I think Slate in that defensive tackle, as much as we know him, I mean, he could be known on an, on another level by the end of the year. I mean, he could really uh, kind of have a breakout season, but. If we're going to go with a, a young guy, I'm also going to go with one of the Mullen evaluations and pick Trevez Johnson. Uh, okay. Just because of everything that we've heard out of camp, uh, him playing at star at a spot that seems like it's still a little bit unsettled and they have some different options there, but it sounds like he has kind of some of what they want at that spot. And I think because of the season that we're in, the way that they want to rotate and get some guys in there and just his ability, his speed and what he brings to that spot. I think he's going to get some opportunities and you'll, you know, by the end of the year, he's a guy that people will be talking about um, as someone that's going to be kind of a star of that defense for the future. Man, you guys, you guys named a lot of people. And I mean, I think that that's a good problem for Florida to have, right? I, I'm going to just kind of quickly go through. I, I, you guys named a bunch of players. I think on on offense, um, I think the obvious answer for me is is what, what Graham said about uh, Kyle Trask. But I'm going to go with Damian Pierce just because I think that Florida's offense is going to be predicated on them. Um, being able to run the ball again this year. I think that that's going to be vastly important for them. Uh, and I think that Damian Pierce right now is, we'll, we'll say head and shoulders above uh, what's after him. I think the floor is going to rely on him a lot. I think he's a big bruising back. I think that he's earned the opportunity. I think that he's a, a guy that can do a lot out of the backfield. So I'm excited to to see him carry the rock. And I, and I do think that he's going to probably end up this season with probably more than, than 50 or 55% of the carry. So I think that Florida needs the, the offensive running attack to be better, to be a more complete offense. I know that we we can expect a lot out of Kyle Trask and Emory Jones, but I really hope that, that Florida is able to get uh, that out of Damian Pierce, and I think he steps up. I think from a breakout player, I'm going to go with Xavier Henderson. I think that he's a guy that might not get a ton of playing time at the beginning of the year, uh, but I think he's going to earn his spot. And right now, that wide receiver position, while it does have a lot of talent, is still missing. Um, you know, kind of your key playmakers, the the ones that you know are going to really um, that you can rely on. And I do think that that opens up an opportunity. Uh, CJ or or um, Xavier posted a, a photo of that CJ Henderson, um, and just looking at the stature that Xavier Henderson has just right now, um, he's obviously incredibly fast. He should have been a five-star wide receiver. I think he comes in uh, and can be a complete threat for Florida. Um, I think on defense, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go with one of the cornerbacks, and I'm not sure which one. I'm going to go uh, with Kyrie Elam. Um, I think Marco Wilson is going to be your CB one. Um, I think that because of that, they're going to probably have to throw more towards CB two, and I think that you're going to see Kyrie Elam really step up and be, you know, kind of that that next great safety or uh, next great cornerback that comes out of Florida. I think that you're going to see a number of interceptions out of him last year. I think I think he um, grew um, in his career. I think that he grew in his intelligence. I think that he was able to work a lot in the film room. I think that that's the one thing, and we didn't get the chance to talk about it, the fact that they didn't practice all that much uh, this offseason – we talked to to um, to Brian Johnson on Stadium and Gale, and he just mentioned how much time they were able to spend uh, in the film room going over plays. And I think a guy like Kyrie Elam, whose cousin played in the NFL uh, and whose father played in the NFL, really was was able to use this offseason uh, to really benefit him. And then for the breakout player of the year, Zach, you mentioned it, but I'm going to go with uh, Terrell Slayton, a guy that Florida has counted on and relied on uh, for the past number of years for, for wanting that breakout season at that defensive tackle position. But I think with a lot of focus on guys like Moon and Ventral Miller uh, and Brenton Cox and, and Zach um, Carter uh, to get to the uh, to get to the quarterback that that might leave an opportunity for a guy like Terrell Slayton to really come in and uh, solidify maybe a, uh, a draft pick for him out of that defensive tackle position. But just because we've not seen much out of him, I'm going to go with a, a guy like him. Last question for all of you. Uh, Florida's record, obviously 10 SEC games. Uh, what's Florida's record uh, at the end of the season, just counting um, regular season? Uh, Graham. Yeah, I'm going nine and one. I okay. don't want to necessarily 
come out here right now and say, oh, I don't think Florida beats Georgia. But when I look at the schedule, when I look at what Florida's contending with, I absolutely think that Florida is set up in a better position right now than Georgia. We talk about the offensive line and the importance of Josh Braun, and that's magnified by the lack of continuity on Kirby Smart's staff right now with Sam Pittman now being the head coach at Arkansas. I think that there are absolutely some prime opportunities for Florida in that Georgia game, but as we all know, slip-ups do occur. If it's not the Georgia game, it may be another game. I think we're going to see some health issues throughout the season for every single program and just finding a way to be more healthy and more prepared than your opponent is going to absolutely be key, the key this season. I would love to sit here and say that Florida is going to go 10 and 0. Uh, but I think that there's still some question marks remaining, like I said, at middle linebacker. And I, and I am with everyone that I think that the offensive line is going to improve and that's going to result in a better run game, but they absolutely have to go out there and do that. I'm saying nine and one, even though I am tempted to say 10 and 0. So please don't crucify me. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Dave. Uh, I'll go down on one uh, as well. Um, it's hard to pick that one loss. Um, I, the, put it this way. Nobody in the SEC is going undefeated, in my opinion. This 10 game okay. to me, this 10 game schedule to me, just I think throws a wrench in everyone. I don't think Alabama's going undefeated. I don't think Georgia's going undefeated. I don't think Florida's going undefeated. Uh, it's, it's hard to do anyway. And we've seen how far, hard it is to do for the great Florida teams and losing games and not not being able to go undefeated. To me, the 10-game SEC schedule does uh, make that just a bit difficult. Uh, like I said, I don't necessarily know where the, where the loss comes. Uh, that, that one's hard to predict. But uh, And I would also say uh, I would lean more – I'll say nine and one, but I would lean more eight and two than I would ten and zero. Oh. Okay. Like I said, I, I do think the ten game schedule. Like I said, I know I keep harping on it. I think it makes it so difficult. And look, I don't even think an eight and two season is disappointing unless one of those two are Georgia. If if one of those two are not Georgia, but you do win in Jacksonville, then I think everything. More than likely, I think everything's still in front of you. And I don't think the eight and two season uh, with a ten game SEC schedule is all like all that disappointing. Okay, Zach. I would say I don't think that Florida is going to go eight and two unless co- they have a COVID issue. I, I think that okay. if they, I think it would take a week where they have some starters out that cost them a game. Um, I think that if they're healthy and they aren't relatively affected by simply just the cases, and now injuries obviously could change. I'm talking specifically about COVID. Um, I think that if it's just a normal season in terms of injuries um, and, and they're able to keep their COVID cases down, I think that they can go 9-1. Um, I agree, though, with uh, David. I mean, I just, I don't know how you go undefeated. I think Florida, I guess, is capable, and they're probably um, one of the most capable teams in the SEC of, mm. of going 10-0, uh, but that's not my expectation for them, mm-hmm. just because of some of the games that they got, certainly, uh, and, and also just because of the uncertainty of the season and not just the COVID cases, but the lack of development in the spring and the offseason. I think Florida is going to be uh, maybe not hurt as much as some other teams, but it's it's still enough to uh, you know not expect, I think, any team to go undefeated this year. Yeah, no, I have Florida going nine and one as well, but I have them leaning more towards ten and zero than I do have eight and two. And, and maybe I say that as a homer, but you know, I think that Florida, you know, compared to a number of players or a number of teams on their schedule, uh, puts themselves in a position where this offseason will, while yes, vitally important, um, wasn't at some of your most key skill positions. And what I think that Florida is great at, and we've talked about on these Gator panels about where Florida lacks a little bit in recruiting, I think they make up in coaching. And I think that Florida's opportunity to spend, you know quite a bit of time in film study and really breaking down, you know, where some of the mismatches are. I think that Florida improved on the offensive line. I think that's going to improve the running attack. I think that Florida does have question marks at wide receiver production at middle linebacker, certainly at safety. Uh, But I consider that against some of the other teams that Florida is going to play against. Whereas Georgia is going to be starting a quarterback that's that's not played it down. Um, you know, Ole Miss certainly has their issues. Tennessee has their issues. LSU lost a you know quite a bit of talent. And then I just kind of look down. I mean, you know, I look at a team like a Kentucky where you might you know slip up that game with Terry Wilson coming back, uh, or you might lose a, a random game here or there. But I think that of all of the teams that are on Florida's schedule right now, Florida was probably potentially hurt the least uh, with with no spring ball. But um, I think all of us are in the the nine and one, um, you know, eight and two, um, you know, ballpark, which is which I think would make most uh, most Florida fans proud. 
Well, boys, thanks so much. This was a, an excellent conversation. Really great diving in with the uh, the three of you guys. Again, thank you so much to Alan Horn. Visit him, alanhorninsurance.com. And, boys, we'll do it again maybe midseason. And uh, really looking forward to it. But thanks so much for your time. See you all. Absolutely. Thank Absolutely, you, guys. Fellas. Thank you all. People are just uptight because the kids are having fun and they didn't have the same freedom because they didn't take it, they just followed the lines laid down by their parents.